Welcome to Podcast at VoteRight. I'm Lucretia McCulley, Head of Scholarly Communications at VoteRight Library. Our author today is Dr. Thomas Bonfilio, Professor of Literature and Linguistics in the Department of Modern Literatures and Cultures. Professor Bonfilio is the author of a new book, Why is English Literature? Language and Letters for the 21st Century, published recently by Palgrave. Dr. Bonfilio examines why English colonized literature after World War II and non-English literatures became configured as foreign language. Tom, thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you, Lucretia. So to start off our conversation, what inspired you to write on this particular topic? Very good question. Uh, one of my colleagues uh, recently said, well, not so recently, it's about another one of my books, uh, she said, uh, what you do is you find something that gets you mad, and then you write about it. Actually, she used an expression that I wouldn't want to say on the air now instead of gets you mad. You sort of <laughs> And, uh, well, we've always had a problem, those of us who teach allophone literatures, right, non-English literatures uh, and cultures, uh, French, German, um, Italian, whatever, uh, we've continually had a problem um, making Americans know that our degrees are not in a language, right? uh, they're not in the nouns and verbs of the French language, just as the English degree is not a degree in the nouns and verbs of the English language, but in the literature and culture expressed in that language. Um, Americans are very resistant to that. Uh, it's known inside the discipline, but clearly not outside the discipline. One of the reasons why we went through name changes in our department. We got rid of the word language um, because language in the American mind indicated skills and only skills. And that's clearly not the case. Um, so I decided to find out where this idea came from, where this prejudice and uh, distinction between language and literature in the United States came from. <clears throat> and of course, those of us in non-English literatures, we've studied in those countries. And in these other countries, in Europe, for instance, Eastern Europe, Western Europe, and also in Asia, uh, Mideast, uh, there is not this separation. The United States is, to my knowledge, the only country that uses the term for its major language as a trope for world literature. No other country does that. In the United States, English um, means literature. Uh, it can mean Tolstoy. <laughs> it, can mean, uh, it can mean Baudelaire. It can mean Flaubert. Uh, I heard once, I was behind two Richmond undergraduates uh, some years ago, and one said to the other, um, you know, like Tolstoy? And the other one said, yeah, I took English. Yeah, I took English. Okay. Now, if you try to say that in another language, it makes no sense. It's absurd. Tu conosci Tolstoy? Si, ho preso un corso d'italiano. Did you, you know Tolstoy? Yes, I studied Italian. <laughs> well, in France, French does not mean all of world literature read in the French language, whether it's originally French or in translation, doesn't mean that, it can't. How did it come to mean that in the United States? And basically that's what motivated me to, uh, to write the book. Fascinating, thank you very much. Well, how can the University of Richmond community use this book to address ethnocentrism and blindness to one's own nationalism? Well, thank you, that's a very good question. Um, these things are taken for granted. 
one problem we have uh, clearly in our department and also other faculty have noticed this. For instance, when we're advising and one of our students will say, um, this course in religion, uh, it counts as an English course? And the advisor will say, no, it counts as a literature course. <laughs> you mean the Bible? Of course, about in the Bible? Yeah, no, it's not English, it's literature. And the student will not understand the difference. People will ask me, what department are you in? People from the Richmond community ask me what I do at Richmond. And I'll say, modern literatures and cultures. And they'll say, oh, um, you know Ray Hilliard. So Ray Hilliard is in the English department. I'm in the literature department. And they, they do not want to understand so how does it help us overcome our, our prejudices? Well, it, it historicizes this problem and shows how it is relative to the United States and shows how it valorizes English as the, the sole linguistic medium for apprehending knowledge. Now, this was not always the case, clearly. When um, the modern languages uh, first became taught, which was at the end of the 19th century in the US, until that time, the languages taught were the classical ones, Latin and Greek. Um, when they were first taught the modern languages, no one of them was equated with literature. English did not mean literature then. French did not mean literature. German did not mean literature. Spanish. As a matter of fact, English was late coming to the curriculum. Um, French literature and language, German literature and language, were taught before French, so was Italian, or before English, excuse me, so was Italian. It was believed that <clears throat> uh, the student was too close to his or, or her first language, being English, to get any distance. So it took a while for English to get in there. Um, Hopkins did not have a regular professor of English until 1879. And at that time, language and literature were not separated at all. You studied the, the language, and it was understood that you did it in order to comprehend what was written in the language, not as a separate skill maneuver. And of course, this came out of the classical tradition. Um, people studied Latin and Greek, and well, yeah, sure, Latin and Greek, Cicero, Plato. Right? And that continued self-evidently into the modern languages. However, in the United States, the modern languages, because of the um, waxing American ethnocentrism, the modern languages got split off from English. And they got more and more defined as skills in the service of English. English was the master medium for apprehending, apprehending knowledge. And the languages became tools for that. And all of this generated the odd locution, English and the languages. So English is not a language. It's like saying women and human beings. Right. <laughs> it's right. the same thing in yeah. terms of prejudice. So by um, by learning this, we can understand how our we can understand, of course, about our prejudices, but also how a a a, a vast area of knowledge is being suppressed by the supremacy of of English. And of course, it can help help explain um, American monolingualism. The um, there's been a lot of uh, moves to rename departments. Uh, of course, we renamed ours Modern Literatures and Cultures. There's other examples. Um, 
Arizona State now talks about international letters and cultures. Mm -hmm. Connecticut College changed the name of their English department to the Department of Literatures in English. Just to make people know that literature is in English, okay, English is a subset of literature, it's not all of uh, world literature. Um, and also, when Americans, because of this linguistic supremacy of English, you'll find that utterances that seem to be innocent are revealed not to be innocent. For instance, when an American says, oh God, you have to excuse me, I'm sorry, I took five years of Spanish and I'm sorry, I just can't speak it. And it seems to be apologetic, but it's not. It needs to be inverted. Right? It's an apology that instantiates the supremacy of English. Right? It's an excuse of that. And yeah, that's how students can, uh, can uh, benefit from it. And the book also... Um, one of the things it does is that it goes through the, uh, the advertisements in the publications of the Modern Language Association to show how um, in the, the book ads, uh, English was not separated off from the other modern languages. Uh, literature and language were inclusive. Booksellers, Henry Holt would say, these are our titles in the modern languages, and they would be um, Flaubert, Shakespeare, a Spanish grammar, right, a German dictionary, um, a play by Goethe. And it was clear that these were in the original language. It wasn't until the 1920s uh, when the advertisements in the PMLA started advertising for literature and translation. Not until the 20s. Mm -hmm. And that happened after World War I. Of course, the United States emerged as the world power, and that showed the primacy of its language, literature gets translated. And it wasn't until after World War II in the ads of the PMLA that English emerged as a trope for world literature. New English titles, and you would see um, Boccaccio as <laughs> an English title, the Decameron. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, just, I think, historicizing this uh, and also making students aware of the, uh, the prejudices of, la of language can help us uh, illuminate um, things that we take for granted that are, that, are, that are damaging. Correct. And that may help them as they go out and become educators in other schools. or Exactly. And it may also give them, um, you know, the, uh, the motivation to immerse themselves in these other languages as a means of apprehending a content differently. As you know, um, the world looks different in different languages. If all you're doing is mediating knowledge through English and the uh, language requirement um, is seen as a set of skills that you stop after a few years, um, then you're really not going to get very far. And of course, um, with uh, the internationalization, globalization of the world now, uh, other universities are non-American universities. Their students are functionally bilingual. Our students used to be functionally multilingual uh, in the United States. They needed Latin and Greek to get into college in the 19th century. And they studied uh, French and German. They were quintilingual 
The faculty was too. The faculty had the same. And that slowly waned. And now um, we're apologetically monolingual. And we have a language requirement that should we really have it or not? Is it all that important? <laughs> well, did any undergraduate students assist you with this research? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. First of all, they supplied, <laughs> on William, they supplied some anecdotes like, uh, you know, Tolstoy, yeah, but, right. <laughs> but also uh, our majors. I teach in four different languages. I get quite confused most of the time, but French, German, English, and Italian. And, uh, you know, as the students advance, they would learn this, especially the ones if we had, for instance, when we have uh, first language speakers of that language. For instance, uh, we call them L1, first language, uh, speakers of French majoring in French or, or um, Spanish majoring in LAIS. Or German majoring in German, the other students would say, well, that must be easy for you because it's your first language. But then again, and then of course those students would complain and they would say, but don't they see that you would never say that to somebody majoring in English? <laughs> well, English must be easy for you because you're an American, it's your first language. So you see one is seen as content and the other is seen as skill. And it is not that way anywhere else. In Anglo outside of Anglophone North America, outside of the United States, and the part of Canada that cannot resist the United States. It's not that way in Quebec. Uh, the, those terms aren't used in Quebec. Language is understood as, as, as content medium as well as it is in the rest of the, um, in the clearly in all of the European uh, universities. So the students helped a lot by just supplying those anecdotes. They said, everybody thinks I'm majoring in nouns and verbs. You know? <laughs> right. Wonderful. Yeah, that's a, a great use to follow up on with them. Would well, you envision undergraduate students using this book? Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. uh, clearly, students in uh, our department, uh, Modern Literatures and Cultures, also in English, LAIS, Classics, but also in general at the university. <clears throat> because um, the future of every university on this planet now is international. And it can't be mediated through just one language. And we can use it to remind ourselves that we used to be multilingual. That, that knowledge was mediated multilingually. And with our continuing collaboration among different departments, different majors, uh, we can return to the initial Ars Liber, right, the initial liberal arts major, which was what colleges and universities had right, all the way up until the 20th century. And the original uh, Ars Liber, liberal arts, um, major was uh, multidisciplinary. There was no word for literature uh, at that time. Literature did not take its the meaning that it has now, until really late in the 19th century. It used to mean literacy, it meant knowledge through literacy. Isaac Newton was called a man of great literature, it meant that he read a lot. Um, and now, we, 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 in the 20th century, late 19th and 20th century, literature started getting separated off into a separate field. 
this gets betrayed a bit by some of the, uh, the homophones. Uh, storia, storia, histoire, histoire, geschichte, geschichte, right? History and story, they used to be the same word because they weren't mm -hmm. separate. It was, an, it was a narrative, it was an imaginative narrative. Okay? And now we seem to be coming back to that now. We are collaborating among departments. We have all of these collaborative majors. Okay? The only problem is that we used to have them in the original liberal arts and they were multilingual. Now they're monolingual. So we need to, of course, we're, we're rediscovering the liberal arts, we're rediscovering the amalgamation of knowledge, but we need to make it multilingual. We need to become um, uh, operationally multilingual. We can do it. Right? Um, as Mark Twain said, in Paris, even little kids speak French. <laughs> <laughs> well, my last question. How did library services support you in writing this book? Oh, wow. Okay. Interlibrary loan. <laughs> this is the fourth book that I've written at Richmond. And I could, done, I could have done none of them without interlibrary loan. Um, especially the last three, which required uh, a lot of work in, in um, major research libraries. And also it required, uh, while I was here, getting a lot of obscure materials. You can imagine in doing the history of, of the, a lot of the history of education in the United States, I was getting documents from Harvard uh, from the 19th century. Um, and uh, the, the other, other books that I, that, I, that I wrote, I was really getting a lot of arcane knowledge. You know, things from the Sandusky Public Library, you know, <laughs> library moment, with not a peak of protest. If they couldn't find it, they would, uh, they would go out and find it somewhere else. I recently, uh, you know, this book that everybody's talking about, you know, Thomas Piketty wrote Capital yes. in the 21st Century. Well, right. Thomas Piketty did not write Capital in the 21st Century. Thomas Piketty wrote Le Capital au 21e siècle in French. Nobody knows that. So I got on WorldCat and I found that there were only a couple of libraries in the United States that had the French copy. One of them was Yale. And ILL doggedly got me a copy. Wonderful. You know, yeah. Great. Uh, they didn't give me that much time to read it because you know, Yale <laughs> wanted it back. But, and then um, I sent it back and then they said, okay, you send it back and we'll get it for you again. You know, and that's, that's the kind of support that you don't get at a lot of places, especially not at large state places. You just don't get that kind of, that kind of attention. They, clearly, they have interlibrary loan, but they don't have that close support. And uh, encouragement, you know, they want you to do it. Instead of, oh, God, this guy's bothering me again. It's not like that at all. So, no. Well, I'm glad you had a good experience, and thank you. Thank you, Dr. Bonfilio, for your conversation today. Why is English Literature, Language and Letters for the 21st Century is available in Boatwright Library and it's on sale in the University Bookstore.